Good morning, everybody. Uh, so glad you're here. There, there was some conversation, you heard that earlier, about uh, whether people would come on a cold day like this, but maybe you feel like others that you may not be seeing anybody for the next few days, and so this is your last, last chance for some social interaction. Uh, you never know. Uh, Huntsville is a strange place uh, when it comes to weather, and uh, what will happen over the next few days, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, but uh, pray that you'll be safe. Uh, so, so glad you're here. I know uh, those at downtown want to say hello to you. There were some technical difficulties that you guys were managing. And so thanks to all the team that was uh, working on that and, and helping you guys be part of the Sunday morning experience. And we're going to jump into God's word this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 21. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn there. We're going to pick up in verse 12. Uh, if you're new with us, we're, we're making our way through the gospel of Matthew. Uh, and it's a great way for um, the, the church, uh, no matter what campus you're at, even watching online, to be able to be looking at the passages together, uh, preparing our hearts, even kind of knowing where we're going to go next week. Uh, it'll be the next section of scripture where Jesus talks about uh, and, and the, the, this fig tree, curses the fig tree. And we're going to look at that next week. Uh, but it allows us all to be together, uh, reading passages together, studying throughout the week, uh, allowing kind of the passage to, to speak to us this morning. And then we make our way into small groups, grow groups throughout the week and kind of apply the passage. So uh, I'm so grateful for what we get to do together and what God's word is going to offer us this morning as we look at verse 12 of Matthew 21. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. So last week and this week, last week was Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and this week Jesus moves from that moment in, into the temple. So we, really, these, these, are, these are two moments that, that are very much tied together, and they're a moment where Jesus is making very public uh, kind of a, an announcement. He's being heralded as he rides into Jerusalem as the king, the long-awaited king of Israel. Uh, he's riding in on a donkey, which signified royalty, uh, which would have signaled to the crowd around him that Jesus kind of is, is accepting even this, this praise, these hosannas, this save us, God. And as Jesus makes his way in, he is really a model of peace. Uh, he, he's a model of control, and then he moves into the temple and he starts with great passion, great force, overturning tables. And I, I love the juxtaposition that we see within this section of scripture that you see again, kind of Jesus held up in this very modest, kind of gentle king riding in Jerusalem. And then moments later, he's in the temple and with force and with passion and with zeal, like he is disrupting the entire temple activity, putting everything likely on pause. And so I want to look at this morning, like, what's happening in this passage? How did we get from this triumphal entry of Jesus kind of coming in on a donkey, and now he's in the temple flipping tables? What's happening here? And so we're going to look at three things. One, we're going to look at the temple. What, what does the temple mean? Why was it significant? Why, why is Jesus here 
in the temple. Two, we're going to talk about the sacrifices. This seems to be the issue that Jesus is wrestling through and kind of dealing with these, the buying and the selling, the trading of sacrifices in the temple. So we're going to look at the temple, we're going to look at the sacrifices, and then we're going to look at how Jesus is the greater. Jesus is doing something even bigger than what you're seeing right here. So the temple, it really is the, the heartbeat of Judaism. A lot of times when we think about the temple, maybe we, we have this concept of church, maybe a large sanctuary or cathedral. Like, and it's just, it's a, um, maybe the temple was just a larger worship service to what you and I are used to. But the temple was really so much more. In the life of Israel, the temple was the center of religion, not only that, but music, uh, community, uh, politics. Like, it was the place where everything happened. And generations prior to this, God said about the temple that it would be the place where God's presence would dwell. The temple was the place where you could meet God. And to understand the temple, you'd have to go all the way back to Genesis and the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day in perfect shalom, in perfect peace with everything right, in a perfect relationship with God. But then sin came. And sin touched everything. And sin touched the relationship between God and Adam and Eve because God is not only relational, but he's also holy and perfect. Their relationship was fractured. And, and sin touched everything. And Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. And from that point on, the Bible really is a story about God coming to be with his people again. God moving, taking steps, taking actions to dwell and to be present and to be in relationship with mankind from that point on. And so we begin to realize that what God is doing through the Bible is he moves from Eden to then to the tabernacle, which was this kind of mobile, portable tent that Israel had within the wilderness where God's presence would actually dwell with them. And the tabernacle then becomes the temple where you have the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, it was the place where God's presence, the manifest presence of God, would actually be, be present, be dwell. And in the Holy of Holies, as, as wonderful as that was that God's presence was there, it was also a dangerous place. And only one man, one time a year, could go into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. Make a sacrifice for forgive, forgiveness and the atonement of sin. And so the temple was this significant place of, of God's presence, of God's dwelling, of God being active among his people, of, of kind of this location of where you could meet God, how you could know God, that you actually could know God. The temple was a reminder that God was relational, but that he was also holy and these sacrifices became a way for us to deal with God. You can make, why sacrifices? Why did God do that? Why was there kind of these animals that were then slain? What's the purpose of that? Why couldn't God just forgive? What's going on with God? Have you ever wondered that? Why do we have these, this sacrificial system? Why did, why did God kind of make this part of the way in which we connect with him? I'll give you, give you an example. Um, my youngest daughter is uh, going to UAH right now. And let's just pretend, right, just uh, for the sake of a story, that I paid the tuition for this coming semester. And a few days into the semester, she then withdraws from all of her classes and gets that tuition money reimbursed. But she doesn't tell me about it. Is this hitting close to home to anybody? She, she then, I, I then continue to put an allowance in her checking account a couple times a month, uh, pay her rent, but never knowing that she's not going to class. She takes that money and sleeps in, 
stays up late, really has a wonderful semester of, of fun and friends and social activities. And at the end of the semester, she shows up at the house. I see her car pulling into the driveway. And I realize over just the last few weeks, like what's happened, where the money has been, where she's been. I, I find this out. And she pulls into the driveway with all of her school stuff, walks into the house and says like, hey, daddy-o, what's for dinner? That's not how the conversation is going to go, right? Like if, if, if that's where she thinks this is headed, right, there's, there's an issue here to deal with. There, there's, there's something for us to navigate. There has been a breach in the relationship, right? You, you would understand that. that. That makes sense. I'm not just going to start fixing dinner and pretend like the last semester hasn't happened. There's, the money's gone, right? There's, there's something for us to deal with. There's been a, a breach in trust in the relationship. And, and this is what we're going to deal with. And this is what happens when we, when we deal with God, the Bible holds out that you have a creator, you have a designer, you have somebody who has organized and ordered your life, that your life, everything about it is, is owed to him in every aspect, all your achievements, all your accomplishments, everything you have has been given to you and has been, you're, you're a steward of these things. It's not yours, it's his. And yet we walk through our lives managing our own time, managing our own resources, our talents, our intellect, our sexuality. We manage it all as if God is not part of that. And as God is relational, God is, God is also holy. And so in order for us to be in a relationship with the holy of God, we have to deal with the betrayal. We have to deal with the sin. There has to be something that happens in order for uh, this relationship to exist, for it to continue. And, and God gives the temple and these sacrifices as a reminder to us that you cannot just go to God any old way. There's a certain way in which you must, you must approach a holy and perfect God to be in relationship. How are you going to be in relationship with a holy and relational God? And God gives us the sacrificial system. For the wages of sin is death. And God allows animals to create a covering, a death to occur for forgiveness and for sin to be dealt with, for our relationship to continue. And so the sacrificial system was a way in which the Israelites could be in relationship with the holy God, to connect with him. And the sacrificial system was good in parts. It was good and it said this, God wants to be in relationship with you. God established a sacrificial system because he wants to know you. He wants you to know him. Not only that, it also talked about the holiness of God, that sin matters. Who God is matters, his character, his holiness, his perfection, it matters. But the bad thing about the sacrificial system is that it, it had to be repeated over and over and over that there were these annual sacrifices that happened, but then there were also sacrifices throughout the year that you would engage in in order to kind of maintain this relationship with God. And so even within the sacrificial system, there was this embedded longing that someday somebody, God, might do something to where the relationship would be set right that we could truly be as we were in Eden, have peace with God, shalom with God again, that we could know him, he could know us, that we would be in relationship. And this was this hope. And so on Passover, 
As Israel is celebrating this great freedom work of God, God to provide, empower, liberation for his people, to set them free and to bring them to himself into the promised land. As they're celebrating Passover, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, into the temple, into this time of high sacrifice. It's estimated there were about 80,000 people that lived in Jerusalem at the time. And additional 100,000, 100,000 people would also make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem during Passover. So, so the whole city would double. And it was this time in which sacrifices would be made. It was this time in which the people would remember the rescue efforts of God. And Jesus goes into the temple at this moment. There are, there are likely, as he makes his way into the temple court, there's likely hundreds of of vendors, hundreds of people buying and selling sacrifices and exchanging money. I don't know if you've ever been, maybe you've been to one of these places where there's a, a huge market, big, big flea market, you know, kind of a, a big bazaar. But I often find that it's, it's these moments where I'm out of the country in some other marketplace that it, it really gets ramped up. It's just a whole nother level. And I can remember with my kids, we were someplace uh, in Africa and we were going to go to the market and we we're going to buy souvenirs. But there was all this coaching that we had to give each other. Like, hey, like when you walk into the market, like don't smile at anybody. Right, like don't, don't shake anybody's hand. Do not tell anybody your name. I've actually seen that happen before where one of the vendors asked somebody in our group their name, they told him, and within like 30 seconds, whatever they were talking about, this walking stick, this hat, it had their name newly etched on it. And the guy was presenting like, here you go. Like, how do you not buy that at that point? It's got your name on it. Don't get excited about an item. Don't talk to him. And certainly don't pay full price. Like this is all, like you know all these rules when you're in a marketplace like this where people are buying and selling. And this is like that. It's, Josephus has estimated that there are 250,000 lambs that will be bought and sold and sacrificed on Passover. And it's in the temple courts where that buying and selling and trading is taking place. It's right here where Jesus walks in. See, the temple courts was a, was a mix. Um, it was a mix of like a, a county fair and the New York Stock Exchange. Like it was a wild place. And, and the temple courts was about 35 acres. But it kind of went from the center. From the center, it kind of grew out concentrically. And so the very center of the temple courts was the Holy of Holies. And then, and from that, then you had the court of Israel, the court of the priests and a little bit larger rectangle around that was the court of Israel where the men went. Then beyond that was the court of women. But then the largest area surrounding these courts was the court of the Gentiles. It's estimated there's about 25 football fields in space, in area, inside this area. And this is where all the animals were. This is where all the money changers were. This is what Jesus begins to walk into when he begins to turn over tables. And the money changers were there because all of these people making their pilgrimages to Jerusalem, to the temple for Passover, were bringing with them all of their foreign currency. And on these coins, there would be represented other faiths, other gods, other images that were not acceptable currency for the temple. So the temple would have to take your money that you're bringing from some other place and then give you an acceptable temple currency and to make a little extra on the side, right? That exchange rate was a side business in which the temple was making money. Not only that, but you had all these animals that were being sold. Animals, lambs, doves, donkeys, cattle, bulls, all of this in the court of the Gentiles. 
And so if you, me and you, were walking into the temple court for Passover, this was the place in which we were here to worship. This was the place in which we were going to connect with God. This was the place where you and I were actually going to meet God and look at all this activity that's all around us, all this chaos, all the conversation, all the traffic, all the, the sounds of money and the, and the animals, right? This is what Jesus walks into. And our passage says that Jesus drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Prayer means that you and I would, it's the, it's the fullness of our worship. When Jesus says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, he's saying like, What's supposed to happen here is fellowship, communion, intimacy. You're supposed to be able to come into the temple and know that God hears you. And you hear him. It's a place of connection and relationship. It's where our our, our worship and our adoration come before him. It's a reminder that a relationship with God is possible. That you could actually know him. Listen to what Isaiah 56 brings out in this idea of a place for the nations. He says, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Jesus is saying the temple is supposed to be a place where everyone, all nations can come and be heard, know God, worship. Right? That's what he's saying. That you would be able to draw near, that you would be able to come close. But the buying and the selling, right? all this exchange, this is the problem. Selling sacrifices, it was a convenience to the pilgrims, right? It was, listen, when you were traveling long distances, it would be difficult to bring your lamb, your sacrifice to the temple, those long miles. Like, what if something happens to your sacrifice along the way, right? What if the long journey that you're making, something happens and all of a sudden you don't have it anymore? What if it's not unblemished anymore? What if it's not a a perfect animal at that point? And so the temple set up the system where you did not have to bring your sacrifice to the temple. It was waiting there for you. That's kind of nice. It's convenient. But the problem is, is convenience had begun to replace communion. Convenience had begun to replace communion. I like things to be convenient. I don't like things to be inconvenient. I don't like long lines. I don't like long lines at drive-thrus, like drive-thrus, but don't like long lines at drive-thrus. I don't know if you're like me, but there are times where I will see uh, that there isn't a line in a drive-thru and I'll just go through it because there's no line. It's 3.30 in the afternoon. I'm not hungry, but there's no line at Chick-fil-A, so I'm gonna eat, like I'm gonna stop and go like, hey, this is my chance. I'm going to go through this line right now. I like things to be convenient. I like things to be easy. I can remember a friend of mine years ago, we were talking about adding a third service 
to the Sunday morning gathering. He says, what if you just had kind of like a drive-through service, an earlier service? Like, what do you mean by that? Well, you know how your services are like an hour, an hour and 10 minutes or so. What if you had ones like 45 minutes? It's kind of a drive-through service. People can kind of just come in, right? They can worship for a little, they can hear the word, and then they can leave. They can go do the rest of the day. And I've never, thought, I've never forgotten that idea. I know, I know the person's intentions were good, but I thought, what does that mean? Like a drive-through service, a convenient service. I mean, can we be looking for Christianity to be convenient? Like, is, is that the faith that we're looking for? We're really looking for a faith to fit into our lives rather than a faith that adjusts our lives. See, in the temple, the problem was is that convenience had begun to replace communion. We'd begun to make it easy. We'd begun to do things that would kind of allow things to expedite. You could almost imagine, man, if I could come to the temple, purchase my sacrifice, walk down the row, have the sacrifice, leave with a blessing, man, I could be in and I could be out. That seems really good. But something more is happening here, right? Worship is not about being convenient. There has to be a movement within us. There has to be something that, that, that adjusts. There has to be a reordering. Like our hearts have to move. There has to be a posture that changes within us. In other words, there has to be a movement of our heart from sitting to watching to engaging but something in the temple, all the buying, all the selling, all the exchanging, it had changed what was really there and waiting, a relationship and a connection with God. The presence of God had been exchanged for something else. Jesus quotes from Jeremiah when he talks about how the temple had become a den of robbers. Listen to Jeremiah's full indictment. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 9. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, Make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? What a charge. Do you know what the, the charge is this? that you and I would come in and out of God's house. We'd come in and out of God's temple and our lives would not be changed. We'd experience the worship service. We would buy our sacrifice. We would leave with our blessing and then we would leave and our lives would be an abomination. They wouldn't have changed. That you could be here but be detached that you could be walking through here, but you could be complacent, right? The, the question still hangs out there. Can we still be robbing God? Not moved, not all in, in part, but not the whole, right? A relationship isn't convenient. Love is not convenient. And as we see this temple activity, it, it kind of moved from this hope of connecting with God, the presence of God, coming into the presence of a holy God, and then it began to kind of shift into something that seemed more manageable, more easy, more flexible, more convenient. This exchanging of services. This is what it began to kind of move towards. The temple has been this a a, a kind of amazing place to meet God and it's turned now into something else. It's turned into this buying, into this selling. It's turned into this place of exchange. 
I think it happens when we're really young. I can remember this moment, just thinking about this place of exchange. I can remember this moment leaving the grocery store with my family. And as you're walking out the doors in the grocery store, I don't know if they're all there anymore, but it was, all, it was that, that row of gumball machines. And I could just remember just hoping my family my, you know, my family had a nickel or a dime or a quarter, something to spare. And if you put the nickel in and you, you turn the dial, right? If you could turn the dial slowly and give it a little wiggle, you might even get two. And this whole exchange, right? We still live very much connected to this idea that you only get out what you put in. Right? So I'm going to put forth a little effort and I'm going to get a little something in return. And this is for school, You're, you study, you get a certain grade back. This is at the gym, you put a little effort in, you get a certain results back, right? This is in relationships, right? Everywhere we go, the idea is like, if I put a little bit in, I'm gonna get a little bit back. This is the exchange. This is what we've always kind of grown up around. This is what, but Jesus is doing something different. Jesus, Jesus turns over the table so that you don't have to turn the dial. Jesus walks in to the temple and begins to do something so new and so disruptive that I believe the entire temple activity paused. John chapter 2 records a moment where Jesus is in the temple turning over tables. Verse 19, maybe the same moment. Jesus answered them. He says, destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. And the Jews then said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? Right? Jesus is talking about something different, isn't he? Destroy this temple and in three days, I'll raise it up. He's answering them on two levels. First, he's saying destroy this temple, which he means, and you are. You are destroying the temple. When you desecrate the worship of God with, with greed, with distractions, you are destroying the temple. You are compromising the worship of God. You are bringing a rightful judgment on the temple. And in a few decades later, this temple will be laid bare. It will be rubble because of judgment that God is going to come on it. But on another level, Jesus is saying the same materialism, the same consumerism that you're expressing, that's going to destroy me as well. Jesus He's going to die for that. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, Jesus says. What Jesus builds in three days becomes a new place where you meet God. Where you're in relationship with a holy God. Remember what Matthew chapter 12 verse 6 says. I tell you something greater than the temple is here, Jesus said. And he meant himself. He meant that something was going to happen through Jesus that was actually going to replace all of this. All of what you'd come to know, how you'd related to God, the system in which you came to God and gotten your blessing by giving a little bit and getting something back, all that's going to be replaced. Jesus is now the place where God meets. Look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 14. We've already read it, but don't miss it. And the blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Right? The, the new is breaking through and it's for free without sacrifice, without buying and selling. The ones who need help, the ones who need God's touch, the, one who needs, they, the ones who need to be saved, the blind and the lame are coming to Jesus and you know what he's doing? He's healing them. 
He's healing them. It isn't an exchange of services. It isn't them putting in a little bit and them getting something back. Jesus is doing something so new and so wonderful because it doesn't matter what we give, we will never be able to merit what we get in return from God. It'll never be one for one. Jesus is doing something so great. He's accomplishing something that the blood of bulls and goats could never do. They could never adequately cover our sin. Not only that, they could never merit us the favor and the grace and the forgiveness that's now coming to us through Jesus, that Jesus is going to do something in just a few days on the cross that's going to be so profound, so once for all, that anyone who believes in him is now going to get to know God, to be in relationship with him. It wasn't a terrible thing. It wasn't a completely terrible thing for the temple to be selling sacrifices. The problem is it was too close to the center. It was, it was, it was inside. And, and this is what God does in our lives. He, he comes into our lives and he begins to look at what's too close to the center. What are the things that you and I are hoping for that's going to bring satisfaction, fulfillment, peace, purpose? What are those things that we've kind of locked our hands around that with this, this is what I need. This is, what, this is going to make me happy. This is going to bring satisfaction. And Jesus comes in, he rides in, and he begins to turn those things over. He begins to rearrange the furniture in our hearts. And, and this is how you know that you've encountered God because he begins to make adjustments in your life that you aren't encountering him, you aren't walking into a place of worship, you aren't meeting with God, and then you're living your life however you want to live it the rest of the week, but actually God begins to rearrange, reprioritize, he begins to do things in your life. When Jesus comes into your life, he will rearrange the furniture, he has to. And that's how you know you're encountering God. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and then he walks into the, into the temple and he starts flipping over tables because he is evoking from you and I a response. What do we believe about Jesus? Is he the king? Is he our king? Is he our savior? Is he, is he challenging you? Is he, is he coming into your life, reordering your life? No more buying and selling. No more trading attendance for blessing. He's creating a brand new system in which you come through faith, by grace, and receive. What an amazing opportunity that we have because of Jesus. To be in relationship with a perfect and holy God no longer through trying to give effort, no longer trying to provide adequate sacrifices, no longer buying and selling and exchanging of services, but by believing in faith and what Jesus has done. And it would, it would change us. Let's pray. God, this morning, I wonder if we might, if we might be able to say that we're not looking to make Christianity convenient they were open to the idea that it does not have to fit into our lives, but that our lives might adjust, that you might reorder us. And then if we see Jesus as the true temple, if we see Jesus as the place where the sacrifice once for all 
a final sacrifice was made on our behalf that we could know God. I pray as the blind and the lame came and Jesus healed them. Oh, that you might do that for us this morning. That you might open our eyes, that you might allow our hearts to move and we might worship and pray and commune and fellowship with a God who has been wanting that and working towards that from the very beginning. God, re- renew us today. Change our lives today. Re- reorder our lives today. That we might be amazed that we have received something that we cannot merit. We have received something that we cannot offer anything in exchange for. And it is because of Jesus. Lord, help us just fix our eyes upon the author and the perfecter of our faith as we worship and adore you. And we can know you through him. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.